0: This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we've packed a number of shows together to give you some highlights. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Thank you for being with us today. Our guest is Hunter King. Thanks for being on the show, Hunter. Thanks for having me, Whitney. Excited to be here. I want us to talk about you know how you're finding deals now. I know that's one of your strong points, and, and I think it's something everybody's you know, wondering about new ways to find deals or how are other people doing it? So yeah, one strategy that I've found to be really successful,
1: especially during a time period like this one where the market's really tight, I'm still doing direct mailers to property owners that have portfolios in the location that I'm looking at. I think a lot of times when people think of direct mailers, they're targeting property owners that maybe own one property or two properties. The people that I'm targeting own upwards to 80 to 100 units or more in the markets that I'm looking at. So even though they may not be specifically set on selling one property, there could be others down the line. And I want to be at the front of their mind when they make that decision to sell. In doing that, you have to tell a story about yourself. Just the straightforward sales tactic of I want to buy your property. It doesn't really resonate with a lot of people if You approach it from a human to human standpoint and you tell a story about yourself. Like for me, graduating college, I was really interested in getting started. And a lot of people resonated with that. A lot of the established veterans in the game, they resonate with that because they were in my shoes at one point. So even though you don't have a track record, you can still market yourself in a way that tells a story and tells them a little bit about who you are.
0: How do you find them? you know, is there specific software? Is there websites? What is it that helps you to to figure out who to send your mailers to? So I use the geographical
1: information system, the GIS, for the state of Nebraska, where I can search up parcel IDs and see who owns those parcels. And then I take that information and put it into an LLC search to figure out who are
0: the partners in these business entities that own these properties. Okay, GIS search. Can you give us just a couple details there that you look for on the GIS You know, to be able to build that list? And are you doing all that yourself? So, yep. Hopefully in the future, I want to outsource
1: more of this stuff. But right now I'm curating the list myself. And what I do is apply zoning filters to the map. So you can see where the multi-residential zoning is. And you can see where on certain vacant lots, whether or not you can build multi-family units on it, or if it's just a single residential dwelling. A lot of information like that is useful when you're first starting out and you're looking for a specific deal. So that's really how I discovered properties is by using that zoning feature Where I can see where all of the multifamily units are.
0: What about some responses that you've received, or what's the number or the ratio, you know, versus, you know, how many are you sending and how often? And then, you know, what about some of the responses? So I'd say for every 10 that I send out, I might get
1: two calls. That's probably pretty good, right? It's really not that bad when you consider. You know, a lot of people, they just throw the letters in the mail. They hardly even read them or take that into consideration. And I understand that, you know, it's part of the strategy, but it's a funny story. One of the letters I sent out about two years ago, never heard back from the guy. And then about a month and a half ago, he called me out of the blue, interested in wanting to sell off some of his portfolio. He has 80 units in the market that I'm living at now that he's interested in starting to unload and get ready for retirement. So that was really cool. And that's the cool thing about the letters is you don't know who's actually holding on to those. And you know a year down the road, their mindset may be completely different.
0: So how often are you sending the letters? I do it once a month. I'll curate
1: a whole new list. And then I also have a separate spreadsheet of people that I've already contacted. And once I send out those letters, I give it about two weeks before I make a follow-up call where I'll actually call them. And, you know, not be very pressing about it. Just, hey, have you seen my letter? I'd love to take you out for coffee sometime. Even if you're not interested in selling, I still want to hear about your journey and your experience. And they really appreciate that.
0: That's a great point that you're following up with a call or you assume you're getting that phone number also from the LLC search or something like that? On the state website. Yep. Are you writing all these yourself? Yes, I am. Okay, no, that's some dedication right there. And again, so you're sending monthly and you have a new list every month. Are you you mailing back the same people ever? So no, I won't mail them back if they don't respond.
1: If they don't answer to my follow-up call, then I might wait another week to call again. But after the third contact point, I'll probably move on. And then, you know, I'll still have their information in my spreadsheet. And I might circle back later in the year and try to reach out to them again. But I don't really want to bombard you with a bunch of mail. One or two letters is good enough. They've seen it. And then if they were interested, they would have called. So I try not to be too pushy, more of a soft
0: approach. Okay. No, it's interesting to hear your approaching, especially if you're receiving, you know, two of 10, what you know, 20%. Does that letter say anything specific? What kind of card is it? What does it look like?
1: So yeah, the letters that I typically use, I explain that I've just graduated college and... I'm still working a full-time job, but I'm trying to get into real estate development and real estate investing. And following that point, I'll put in a line where I notice you own a property located at XX something, you know, A Street. And, you know, and then I'll ask, are you interested in potentially selling this property? If not, would you still like to meet with me over coffee? I would love to talk about your journey in real estate. And then I leave it at that and I provide my contact information at the end of that letter. But definitely mention that there is a property that you notice that they own to see if they are interested to, you know, figure out their level of interest and then just ask them to take them to lunch or put in, can I take you to coffee sometime? A lot of these people, they just want to conversate with other like-minded individuals
0: Yeah, that's awesome. You know, like direct mail is not a new thing, but it's like not everyone's doing it, right? And it's people like yourself who are still out there, you know, working every avenue that they can to get in front of those sellers to find deals, you know, that are making it happen. People say, oh, that doesn't work anymore. And I would say, ah, <laughs> you're wrong, right? You know, uh, people like Hunter are out there, you know, doing it and finding deals. So how do you plan to say, do you plan to continue the direct mail? Is that going to be something you say, you know what, this is very beneficial. And yeah, do you plan to continue? I do for as long as I'm buying
1: the smaller multifamily properties. It's a lot more competitive in the larger multifamily space. So working with brokers, and either way, you have to establish a connection with good brokers in your area because they know a lot of the economics of the market. But using direct mail is a great way to get your foot in the door and get your face in front of these people that do own all the real estate in your market. And every market's different. Like I mentioned before we started the show, the market that I'm investing in is not a, a Denver or a Kansas City market, it's much smaller than that. And so you kind of have to be a little more creative because there aren't so many larger multifamily deals in my area.
0: Yeah, but if you're finding, you know, you're mailing 80 to 100 unit properties, that's pretty good size. That's bigger than most, I think, would think of direct mailing to, right? tell me, you know, what about you know finding properties larger than that but would you say direct mail will work you know larger properties as well or but it's just it's just more competitive
1: it could work if you can find the decision maker like i said find out who owns the llc a lot of on those larger properties the address will be linked to their lawyer's office or whoever the agent is that's handling the legal part of the business so you kind of have to get creative in how you reach out to these people and I would consider maybe bringing a broker on a conference call with you if you're going to call the people that own the larger properties because that just adds another layer of credit to your resume if you have a reputable broker coming in with you on the front end.
0: That's an interesting point. Yeah, your team is so important and shows credibility. It shows you've done a lot of work, legwork, ahead of time. Hunter, what's the most challenging part for you right now in just scaling your business or moving towards the next deal?
1: So the most challenging part for me is growing the team while having a full-time job. I'm trying to go completely full-time real estate. I'm currently taking my real estate courses to get my license. I would like to get into the more sales and brokerage side as a way to generate more income that I can then put back into real estate. And then going forward, I would like to continue to buy up the smaller multifamily properties in my area formulate a property management company around that, and then through the connections I've made in my market, use that to maybe participate as an LP in larger syndications across the country because that's really the goal. I don't want to be invested in one location. I want to spread out and get to experience the benefits of all those markets.
0: Hunter, is there anything that you would have done differently, you know, say on the first few deals, maybe you wouldn't have done the construction, you know, uh, new development, you know, very first, but anything else outside of that, that maybe you would have done differently?
1: I would have definitely reached out to more brokers and went bigger from the beginning. That new construction deal was definitely a learning experience. And I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to complete that. But looking back on it, if you wanna be serious about scaling, you need to go bigger. You need a a volume of units. And so looking back, I would have networked more with the multifamily syndicators that are doing the 100 unit, 200 unit deals and maybe participated as a passive investor from the beginning and focused more on raising capital. That's definitely one of the skill sets that I'm trying to improve on right now is raising capital from individuals.
0: Our guest is Laura Adams. Thanks for being on the show, Laura. Thank you, Whitney. It's great to be with you. Laura is a senior real estate analyst at Aceable, a mobile-first digital learning platform. She's a nationally recognized personal finance and small business expert who's been a real estate sales agent and investor. Her mission is to make complex finance topics easy to understand so you can live a richer life. Laura, welcome to the show. Grateful to meet you. Interesting to hear a little bit about your background before we get started. In the podcasting side as well, there's not many people that's done as many shows. As you have, or as I have, but grateful to have you on. Give us a little bit about the real estate piece, you know, just your background and what your focus is now, and let's dive in.
2: Yeah, so thanks. It's great to be with you and to connect with you as well. For me, I always had a love of real estate and became a homeowner very early in life, got married in my early 20s. We bought a home immediately. And I had an interest in real estate, not only personally, but my family, both my husband's side of the family and my side of the family were in real estate. I had lots of family members that were investors, salespeople, et cetera. And so I had some good role models, I think. And that was really key to getting started, kind of knowing what was possible and got into investing really after I got my salesperson's license. I really wanted to get licensed first. And fully understand the landscape, you know, understand everything I could So I'm the type of person that likes to do my homework first. I don't just jump in (laughs) and do anything without doing a lot of research. So for me, getting the license and even spending a little time as a salesperson was critical for me to have the confidence to go out and become an investor for myself. So that was really kind of a stepping stone for me. I I did not sell very long. I finally kind of realized that my, my passion was more on the investing side than the selling side. But of course, I I kept my license so I could save some money on the commission and kind of kept me connected, kept me really in a a good network of folks to find properties and really just trade information about what was going on. So that's kind of the, the beginning of where it started.
0: You know, you mentioned, obviously, you spent time in sales. Tell me how that's benefited you long term or even, you know, getting your license. You know, would you recommend that to people that are, you know, maybe new to this business or thinking about getting in?
2: I would absolutely recommend it. As I mentioned, for me, it was really a critical part of gaining the confidence and understanding the landscape. So, you know, and in my day, we didn't have a site like Aceable to go to, to learn and get licensing 24 seven. It was really a much more arduous process. And I can remember studying for that course while I was on my lunch break at my job and you know, really kind of trying to fit it in. And then the whole process took quite a while, but thankfully it's much easier today for folks to get licensing education. And I would, because it is so easy, Whitney, it's like, why not do it? You know, I'm not saying the course is easy in terms of the content, but if you put your mind to it, absolutely, you can get that under your belt. And you learn so much that you wouldn't expect, you know, not just about law, but about the different types of careers that you can pursue within real estate, which I found super interesting. And it gave me a perspective of, what's it like to be a landlord? What are the laws on the landlord side? What's it like to be a buyer? You know, what's the psychology of a seller? And I really think it helped make me a better negotiator, understanding both sides of the transaction a lot more clearly.
0: That would definitely be helpful. I mean, we're negotiating all the time, right? It doesn't matter really who you're speaking to, right? Grant Cardone talks about you're in sales, you know, all the time, no matter who you are. And I believe there's a lot of truth to that. What are some of the complex, you know, financial topics that you're, you know, helping people to understand, particularly before they, you know, start investing in real estate?
2: Yeah. So, you know, for a lot of people, they have a dream of being a real estate investor, but don't, you know, really know a whole lot about what it takes. And so I really try to encourage people to get their personal financial house in order before Going out, you know, thinking about investing as. Just as other types of investing, you need to be in a position to afford to make those investments if you're not really building a solid foundation. So I'm talking about, do you have an emergency fund? You know, are you looking at your retirement and making some consistent contributions? Do you have the right insurance products that you need, et cetera? So really making sure that your financial financial house is in order before you make those investments is key. Now, will everybody have their, you know, their finances 100% perfect before they become an investor? Probably not. And making profit in real estate may be a solution to help you get out of debt and maybe a solution to help you build your personal wealth and making sure that you are on the right path. Obviously, that's the point. But if you get into a situation where you're not profitable. You know, you get into you know, an issue where you haven't thought through all the numbers clearly. You can find some really unexpected expenses and challenges as an investor. So it's really key, I think, to understand what are the basics and follow those fundamentals before you jump in feet first. Do all the homework that you can. Maybe partner with somebody who has more experience than you. Learn from them. Leverage their skills and talents first. And that may be a good stepping stone for many people before they go in on their own.
0: Is there a number around, or is there some kind of metric around emergency funds specifically that you recommend people have?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it does change from time to time. You know, right now, I would probably say people are thinking more about emergency funds than ever with the pandemic and all of the financial challenges that we've had. Typically, the rule of thumb has been at least three months worth of living expenses. So that's not necessarily a a full replacement of income, but thinking about what are your, your major expenses. So housing, insurance, your medical costs, kind of your ongoing fixed costs, and maybe some of the variable expenses that you can't live without. Figuring that number and then multiplying times three is kind of the the minimum I recommend. Going to six months, even better. And hey, if you can go up to 12 months, that's even better. So I would recommend at least six months before jumping into some big real estate moves. That's just gonna be a smart runway to have to make sure that, you know, if something doesn't go the way you've planned it, you've got that financial cushion there to keep you and your family safe.
0: Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.